Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. <laughs> Pregnant ladies and little kids better get the hell out of the way because I'm running. I'm just, I'm like Forrest Gump, dude. I am running. So... The Titanic was the biggest ship on the ocean, but that didn't mean it was unsinkable. <laughs> I want you to use ombudsman in a sentence next week. I got one for you. My name is Kevin, the official ombudsman of the Podcast. You like apples? Welcome back. We are ready for another episode of the Just Press Play Pod. What up, what we got up? the crew back together. LJ Pops, what's going on? It's all good. All yeah, good in the hood. life, my man. Yeah, I mean, shoot, Pops has been out there in the in the Rocky Mountains, you know, listening to concerts, <sighs> doing who knows what. So jealous. Finally got him back. Thank you so much for to Hannah for filling in. She yeah. was fantastic. She last was. Week. We've had great guests for the last couple of weeks. We definitely got less attractive this week. <laughs> yeah, but, but we are back. I know. <laughs> No doubt. (laughs) And, you know, I wanted to start off last week. uh, Dad, you weren't here, but we talked a little bit about, you know, we were pumped. The Hall of Fame game was going on and and football was starting back up. Can we just go ahead and say every year I get excited for the Hall of of Fame game. And then I realize, oh, yeah, this game sucks. The game was so bad. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, sir. Dad's wearing his Hall of Fame shirt. Now, yeah, I will say to anyone out there, if you haven't ever been to the Hall of Fame game and the whole like, the whole shindig go do it yeah dad yeah. took us a while back it was totally yep. worth it so yep. fun and you know by the way i mean while we're here if you're gonna go to a game or any event for that matter what would you, you do Kev? what would you do well let me tell you you gotta go to seat geek and if you go to seat geek right first off first off let me just say seat geek is just it's like it's like your best friend giving you a ticket. They're gonna give yeah. you a good deal. They're gonna yeah. give you the five finger discount. Uh-huh. They're gonna they're gonna throw on there. They're gonna have the the green dot is gonna tell you when you get a really good ticket. The yellow dot's gonna tell you when that ticket, you know, it's it's not the best. It's all right, but you mm-hmm. might get stuck behind a six foot eight guy. There's no telling. Somehow they can tell that too. I don't know how. That's magic. And then the red dot means don't don't buy it. You're, you're, there's gonna be a pole right in front of you. Like you're going to go to a Ranger game and that foul pole is going to be right where the batter's at. It's going to suck. <laughs> Don't go. So they take all the confusion out. They make it simple. They make it where you get good tickets. And right now, if you go over to SeatGeek.com and put in the promo code ACAA for Armchair All-Americans, those are our uh, partners over here on the pod. If you put in ACAA right now, they'll give you $20 off your first ticket. So if you want to go to, I bet you can find a preseason game kind of cheap and add $20 off of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, now we're, now we're talking. Mm-hmm. Now we're, you can go fig- like LJ, you can go scout that Philip Lindsay for your team. Go figure out that running back that's about to blow up and yep. you'll be the cool friend. Yep. I'm telling you, but that's yeah, it. Yeah. I got to say something, Kevin, I, oh, Joe, you know, we went, we're going to talk about this a little bit, but Joe and I went to Colorado and saw a concert and he bought the tickets way back before we were on the seat geek thing. Yeah. And he literally was behind like a six foot eight guy. <laughs> and, 
And you know, <laughs> I didn't even know that. I no, didn't even know that. He when literally I, when I, was. That's and, awesome. And Joe's got a, you know, he's slightly height challenge, not bad. But he, <laughs> let's just say he's a lot shorter than a six foot eight guy, like a lot. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, well, see if y'all had been on SeatGeek, you would have had that red dot. Like, hey, Shaq's standing right in front of you, so be <laughs> careful. Right. That's right. Yeah. Oh well, and so to circle back around, yeah, the, the All Star Game. I turned it on, and literally, like one drive in, I realized, oh yeah, Matt Ryan's got his T-shirt on. Yep. I don't. Did Joe Flacco? I don't think he touched. The no, field. he sat there with his we, uh, Razor Ramon hair, but that's all he really did. Yeah. So. <laughs> We did get to see a little bit of Drew Locke, the future of the Denver Broncos. Uh, I mean, you know, some good, some bad. He, he, looked, definitely, like a, he looked like a rookie. My favorite article uh, compared uh, passing a kidney stone to watching Drew Locke throw a football. So, um, <laughs> wow. wow. Okay. <laughs> mm. Mm. So promising times ahead of the Denver Broncos. That's <laughs> well, for sure. he's, it's a first year. You can't you don't expect him to come out the gate. Nobody has Damn. nobody great has had a great first game. I don't think. I mean, that's probably you, not true. But, you know, rare. luckily, I, I've never passed a kidney stone, but it looks painful. I don't know if I can watch if Drew Locke gets on the field. I may have to turn the TV off. Well, you know, the reason terrible. that came up because Van, uh, Fangio coached the game passing a kidney stone. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's mm. why that was the comparison. Like, I can't imagine coaching a game. Uh, while that is happening inside my body, like I, I again have never had it happen. I've been around other people dealing with it and it's just like, it sounds like just hell on earth. Well, basically you're, I mean, excuse me, but you're pissing out a rock, aren't you? I mean, yeah, but like a sharp one, like a sharp a sh- rock, a sharp rock. Um, yeah. Ooh, that hurt yeah. just thinking about I it. I too, I too have never knock on wood. Yeah. I've never passed a kidney stone. I hope I don't have to, but yeah, I, I, it doesn't sound fun. And shout out to Vic Mangio for coaching through it. My man, he he what wasn't going to miss his first game as a head coach, even if it was the Hall of Fame game and a preseason <laughs> game. He wasn't missing his first game as a head coach because of no stinking kidney stone. He's a yep. football guy. Yep. All right. <laughs> That's right. But the cool part about the Hall of Fame game is the Hall of Fame. That's what you're really going yeah. for. And it felt like, I don't know, I pro- we probably say this every single year, but this class felt awesome. Yeah. Am, am I am, am I off on that? Especially it felt like great. A great class. Yeah. I agree. Uh, we had yeah. among among some of the the ni- 2019 Hall of Famers we had as we talked about last week LJ's own Champ Bailey yes, and sir. Pat Bolin. Yes sir. And then we had Gil Brandt from the Cowboys, Tony G, Tony oh. Gonzalez. I kind of want to talk about him in a second. And then Ty Law, Kevin Y, and Johnny Robinson. So a really a solid solid class. But I kind of wanted to get into Ed Reed. Yeah. And I think one we can talk about his bust if y'all want to. His bust, I think, oh, was the best Hall of Fame ass. bust I've yeah. ever seen. <laughs> can can we? There's another thing just on the aesthetic. D- did his fedora have a wooden brim? I think it had a wooden brim. <laughs> yeah, amazing, a polished wooden brim. It, I and I'm the in. bill. I think the top part exactly matched his Hall of Fame jacket. It looked like it was like the same <laughs> right. material or something. Speaking of Hall what of Fame jackets, it, that's that's a the the, the gold jackets got to be the biggest flex in all of lifetime when you can throw that gold jacket on like before you go out to eat or go to the go to the club or something that's just what's what's more prestigious pops the the green masters jacket or the yellow the, the gold the gold hall of fame jacket uh, I think that gold NFL yeah. Hall of Fame jacket I mean yeah. come on you're you know golfers and I, you know I love golf but Golly, you're a badass if you get in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you were. By the way, I did see something on this. Y'all may have saw it, too. There are only 324 members in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Think of all the guys that have played football. 
Yeah. And there are only 324 guys in the Pro Football Hall of Fame that you're a badass if you're You know, in there. that well, reminds me of something I recently read about. Have you guys heard of the Hall of Very Good? <laughs> no. Well, no. There's this. There's Where's this, that at? Is that over in Toledo? Ohio, yeah, it's or? probably. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably in Indianapolis or something. But uh, uh, they're a group that uh, their whole thing is they are trying to get people recognized that uh, the Hall of Fame has essentially ignored. So they're getting those people that uh, especially they're really hitting from the pre Super Bowl era because there was a lot of football played between 1920 and 1960 eight or whatever it was when the first Super Bowl was and people don't really care about most of those players. So they're giving them some recognition. Um, and then, you know, also every now and then picking up a more modern player, but it's a, right. it's a cool idea to like, because the hall of fame can only accept so many people. So a lot of great players just get forgotten because they didn't get that gold jacket because well, they, and I think that's there. what makes, and I think the NFL hall of fame is one of the better hall of fames. Um, baseball does a good job too, where they're kind of, they don't let just anybody in. Basketball, which is not the NBA Hall of Fame, it's like the Basketball Hall of Fame. Right. And a lot of guys get into the basketball. Like, I was actually having a conversation earlier today with a buddy of mine named Jared, and he was texting me like, is Kyle Lowry going to end up a Hall of Famer? And the fact that that can be a question, <laughs> the NFL, like Chris Carter had to take how many times before he could get in. T.O. didn't get on the first trial. Like it, when you get in the Hall of Fame, that's something. That's that, something. That, like, like Ty Law said, Ty Law, was, it was a cool moment when he was like, Mama, we're Hall of Famers, and yeah. no one can ever take that away from yeah. us. And that's yes. true. That gold yes. jacket is something. That means something in the yeah. NFL. I agree. But I and I might be biased, guys, because I pretty much grew up watching him, played Madden with him forever. But I think Ed Reed is the best safety to ever play the game and really revolutionize the way that position's played. Maybe him and Paul Malu. Paul Malu is on that list. I was also I, – I did like how uh, he threw out Ronnie Lott, who played cornerback also, but – um, but, uh, yeah. was Ronnie, was Ronnie Lott. Lott the one that lost his finger? Yes. And kept playing? yes. Cut off. Yeah. Had his finger amputated in game. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, well, boy. and I mean, and to, just to go a little further, cause I wrote that down too. I mean, Ed Reed talked about playing a football game later or whatever. And he said, I'll come off the bench, Ronnie. Yeah. I'm telling you when Ed yeah. Reed defers to you yeah. at the you're position he plays, you're a bad mofo. <laughs> I mean, Ronnie Lott was <laughs> amazing, but I'll throw there out. Was just. Can I throw out a Go couple ahead, other safeties, though, even from his era that are still on that yep. list? I there's, mean, there's one, there's one that I have. Yep. Um, great player. Yeah. Bob Sanders, had he had a longer career, might have been one of the best safeties. Best yeah, they wouldn't have started, if they wouldn't have started testing for PEDs, he'd have been really good. <laughs> I think that, that <laughs> might have hurt him a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> well, he might have just but been yeah, trying Bob to recover Sanders. from injuries because he was always yeah. hurt. But, you know. Yeah, shoot. Right. He should have used that deer antler spray like Ray Lewis did. You can pass with that stuff. But what are the safeties were you going to mention there, L? Oh, those are the ones that I really want to talk about. Dawkins and uh... Dawkins definitely deserves to be up there. He was he was great. I, I'm i a little skewed because he was on the Eagles and yeah. he, did, exactly. he did a lot That's of damage only, to our I Cowboys. Agree, Kevin. That's the only reason I'm not just loving him because he well, was great, though. Dawkins. But he's one of the very few Eagles Dad's that I really agree like. With. Uh, Steve Atwater, who's a little bit earlier, but... And Back by there. the way, you, you better you have know, your head on a swivel with Steve Atwater. Do you right? know Atwater was a candidate. He was yeah. he was uh, uh, possible, a possible right? a yeah. finalist a finalist for this class and didn't yeah. make it. Was it his first year? It wasn't his first year of eligibility? Was it? LGBT? No, he's been eligible for Steve a long Atwater? time. Yeah, yeah. he's, he's be been eligible for, for probably ten years. Um, yeah, but I think I thought so. The NFL with the CTE problem they're having right now. I mean, what you really love about Steve Atwater is that Christian Okoye hit. 
And uh, so they're going to show that over and over and over again. And then fans and might that just really concussion and CTE. connect some dots on the NFL. And uh, and so I think that's really what's hurting him right now is not. It that has nothing that to that do would, with that. That water. sucks that that would delay his Hall of Fame. Uh, but I think it know, is. If, uh, you're right. You're I, right. You know, I don't know. I mean, golly, uh, uh, Champ Bailey. Uh, well, especially Ed Reed. Well, you're talking about. Yeah, but those but, guys did more like Atwater. I mean, I feel like when you talk about Atwater, it's kind of like when you talk about John Lynch. You're talking about a huge hit over the middle. You're not. There were interceptions. Don't get me wrong. But when I when I think of Ed Reed, I'm seeing him make six. this crazy pick over the middle where yeah. he shouldn't even been able to make it, and then return it for 95 yards to the end zone. By the way, well, the I first. Think, Champ Bailey play, I think of just I, I even as the world's ben biggest biggest Champ Bailey fan is that Ben Watson <laughs> chase down. Oh my god, that was one of the most crazy plays I've ever seen in football. If I'm ever coaching a football team, that is a play I show where you don't quit because yep. my boy Ben Watson uh, tied in, yep. ran down Champ Bailey and hit him at the one yard line and didn't just hit him; he yeah. knocked his block yeah. off. Yeah, we might have to get that play in the show notes just because yeah, that play deserves some more love. It's got to be on right. YouTube somewhere. Um, Dad, I think you had something to say too about safeties or something. Yeah, you were talking we, about Steve Atwater. You I kind of cut you off, I think. Well, I mean, I think Atwater and, and Lynch, even to some degree, I think Atwater was one of the first safeties that was kind of a linebacker. You know, he was yeah. just a bigger, stronger guy at, that yeah. they started putting back at that position. And so, yeah, his game uh, was just knock your in the dirt. Um, which which was was like Ronnie Lott too, but Ronnie yeah, Lott now, he did played. start at corner, didn't he? He started at corner, but he went to safety pretty quick, I think. I think you're um, right about that, but I didn't watch him play, so I only know kind of like retrospect, sort of like videos I've seen. You know something uh, else I did want to mention is that uh, sorry, Kevin, is that no, if no. you looked at all these guys, I, I looked at a little bit of each of their speeches, or at least the players, they all looked really fit, like Mawai, Kevin Mawai. I hope I'm saying yeah, his yeah. name right. He, he he didn't look as big as he did in his playing days. He looked very fit. He's lost it's, it's that It's kind weight. of interesting. You'll see that a lot with offensive linemen. Like They'll either get big, big, or they'll get like in really good shape because they're still working out and they're not eating like they used to eat like crazy. Yeah. Well, I think it takes a smart guy to realize I cannot consume the calories when I'm not you know, yeah, right. burning well, them like that. And it's just hard to physically exist at that size. I mean, you're already existing it's, at that exactly. height and that strength, but then you add on – just makes me think pounds. of uh, what's his name, former cowboy Nate Newton. Didn't he get like huge after I think he retired? He got and huge, then he lost a yeah. bunch of weight. Well, no, wasn't he the one that. carrying five pounds of pot in the back trunk of his car and got pulled over? <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of those cowboys back in the nineties, baby. Part, party win. That's all it takes, man. Yeah, party if you're win. smoking that much pot, you're eating a lot of Cheetos, I imagine. So <laughs> Twinkies and Cheetos. I, we keep kind of stalling your point. Were you still going, Pops? Or I, I jumped in and started talking. About no, it. no. That I guess I was just saying that. I, I thought it was interesting too. Then the the the, the finalists that kind of caught my eye that were not put in. Atwater, we already named Don Coriel, and I, I know he was a little before your time, but yeah, I'm not even but sure he, that is. he well, he really opened up the offense. He was part of that uh, Dan Fouts San Diego yeah. uh, okay. team that just opened it up, passing, passing, just moved the ball. Uh, Edger and James, who I think is on the bubble. He was Ooh, a that's, see, that's what I think. That's why I think the NFL. So I don't think he is a Hall of Famer. I, I, think, I don't. I either. think he is on the bubble. I think he's on our side of the bubble, though. On our side. By, by that, I mean we're not making the Hall of Fame. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's one. There's not very many times I'll get compared to Edgerton James, but I'll take it when I can. Yeah. I think he's in the Hall of Very Good, probably. Yeah. I, I, I think will I agree say with I that. loved Edge. First off, the nickname Edge, and then in that, that blue Colts jersey with the, he had kind of the dreads hanging out. I, yeah. I loved Edgerton James. I loved James. Yeah. Peyton Manning. Yeah. Yeah, that offense. Like, let's just shout out that offense back in the day. Yeah, Peyton Edge, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Dallas Cart, Brandon yep. Stokely. 
Yep. They, yeah. they might not have played any defense, but they had an offense. They had an sure. offense. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just another safety. I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention his name because I think he'd be right there in this argument had his career in life not got cut yeah, short. I know you were going with, and that's my man Sean Taylor. Yeah. I. I think you're right, Kev. He was love an absolute beast. Sean Taylor. And yeah. Paul Moto, I'm guessing he hasn't been up for it yet. I think Paul he Molo's might be eligible. He's got to be first ballot, right? Yeah. I think Paul Amalo will make it. Yeah. I mean, I just think there's no way he's he's not first ballot. But I, I was kind of looking at some stats and Ed Reed's stats. And I read, let's see, he led the league in interceptions three different years 04, 08, and 2010. He's the only other player. He's only one other player who's ever done that. That's Everson Walls, who did mm-hmm. it in 81, 82, and 85. And then I saw Reed ranks seventh in interceptions behind. I didn't know. Did you know a guy named Paul Krause? I guess he's really good, Dad. Yeah, but he was. I think he was even early in my watching football. I think he was a Viking. Was he a Viking? Sounds Maybe right, yeah. it was a lot yeah, of older guys. So. There's one at Paul Krause, two Emlyn Tunnel, three Rod Woodson, four the Dick Lane. Isn't that the Night Train? Yeah, Dick Night Train and Lane. And then Ken Riley and Charles Woodson. And then Reed's at seven. And my favorite stat about Ed Reed was he has the longest inter- interception return for a touchdown at 108 yards against the Eagles in 08, which bested the previous record at 106 yards held by Ed Reed. So okay. the, the dude was good there. There was just something about Ed Reed where like, I, I never thought he was the fastest guy, but like, he got a pick and he just had a way about how he returned. Maybe it was really good vision. He wasn't like well, he Devin had, Hester speed, but it was he had just, great vision because I remember too, one of the things that was special about him is he would give the ball to whoever had the best chance too. And if look, you, there's a play in my head that I can remember, he got a pick and like pitched it back to Chris McAllister. Yeah. When it really, and he held the ball like a loaf of bread all the time. Like there's a lot of things Ed Reed did that you probably shouldn't do, but by God, if I was Rex Ryan or any other defensive coordinator, I'm letting Ed Reed do whatever the hell he wants. Oh, yeah. Well, it and, worked a lot of the time. And it seemed like if Ed Reed tossed you a ball, if you get anything less than a touchdown, it was a disappointment because he <laughs> right. only gave you the ball if you were scoring. That's right. That'd be your ass from yeah. Ed Reed if you didn't make it. <laughs> and last last note on – last thing on Ed Reed is he is the first and only player as of right now to ever return an interception, a fumble, a punt, and a block punt all for a touchdown. Wow. And I think what solidifies him, best safety of all time, is just the way, and we'll post this in show notes, if you've ever watched the NFL Films thing where Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are talking about Ed Reed and just like how to get, like they literally were like, you can't game plan against him. Every time you think you know what he's doing, you don't. And he like baits you into everything. Like when a guy like Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, probably the two best at what they do, are like you can't you can't out, out coach, outsmart him. You're pretty damn good. So yeah. did you guys see, didn't he accidentally thank Belichick instead of Billick? Did you see no, anything that about was, that? No, no. Well, I don't think so. I know Kevin Mawai thanked Bill Belichick for making him such a great player, which Mawai played at the Jets for a long time. So he, he thanked Belichick because he said Belichick was so good that he had to push so hard and tried to watch so much film to outsmart him. Let me look I it up. I think, I hear what you're saying, but I think, I think Ed Reed might have thanked Belichick instead of Billick. Well, and if that's the case... I honestly don't. Billick had a great defense, and and I don't think Billick was all that great of a coach. I think he just had a good team. It looks like he did, by the way. He did think. Yeah. He think Belichick. He think Belichick instead of Billick. Yeah. Uh, it seems to have been an accident, but. Oh, that's great. That's pretty fun. <laughs> you know, Kevin, that conversation that you're talking about that Brady and Belichick had reminds me of where I think you put it on the website one time where. Uh, LeBron James is shooting a free throw and he looks over there and old Kawhi Leonard's buzzed in and he's he like, just like, ah, damn. <laughs> oh, man. 
it's, it's hilarious. Yeah, like, like Tom Brady at one point was talking to Bill Belichick. He goes, "Man, you like you? I have him. I look him off, and he makes me think I looked him off. Like he like bites on my look, but still picks the ball off at the middle of the field when I think I've got him completely toast, and he'll end up picking off. And then not only that, like we said, he'll return it for a touchdown. So pretty damn good. And then other notes I had on the Hall of Fame before we move on. Uh, Ty Law was that guy. I don't know if you remember this, LJ. One, he oh, kind of started. I know where you're going he with this already. He started the Patriots. Yeah, he started <laughs> the Patriots dynasty. But what I will remember him as forever yep. is he hung around on Madden for like three years as a corner in the free agency. Yep. And if you signed, you could always sign him at the start of any franchise and yep. move him to safety. And he was like a 99 overall. He was 99 overall. He really- <laughs> He'd play for like two years and then retire no matter what year of Madden you're playing. But, uh, but he would I be swear the best for like 07, 08, 09, yeah. he was always in the free agency at corner. Yeah. And he was like a 90 overall corner corner or 85 but if you moved him to safety because he him losing a little bit of speed wasn't didn't hurt him at safety yeah well that's the thing like madden's stats said safeties were just slower cornerbacks and so if you yeah. took ty law i mean he was the best cornerback in the nfl still when he wasn't he was a free agent so <laughs> so um, i always remember old ty law for that and then i did want to touch on a little bit about tony gonzalez he probably gets a little overshadowed in the argument of like best tight ends ever because since tony gonzalez we've seen Bob Gronkowski, Antonio Gates, you name it. I mean, there's just been so many good tight ends come around. Yeah. Tony G, I mean, probably, I guess, LJ, you might have a good thought on this, Dad. I guess you were watching too, but Shannon Sharp probably changed the tight end, but I felt like Tony Gonzalez really optimized it, really showed that tight end can be your focal point of an offense. Like his days at the Chiefs, he was so damn good. Well, I think probably to, to pay him the respect he deserves is he started the renaissance in the tight end position, I think, didn't he? Who came before him? I mean, there was uh Well that's what I was gonna mention maybe Sharp. Did well, that's Sharp what I think, yeah, Sharp, you can have Sharp, a tight I think they were Sharp, doing it at the same time. I they're think. about the same time. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. I think Sharp might have uh retired a little earlier, but I think they were really both changing the game at the same time, changing what a tight end actually meant. Because at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, Dad, but a tight end was a a blocking receiver uh yeah. in that order. He was and, a block exactly in that yeah, order. Yeah, he blocked yes. and every now and then if he gets open for a five or eight yard catch, yeah. you know, great. Cool. Right. Right. Um, and and then, Tony Gonzalez proved that he can be a guy that catches 100 balls in a year. And well, not touchdowns. only that, the two of them proved that that was a winning strategy. It wasn't a crazy thing to do. And uh, at that point, I don't imagine many teams were even thinking about, well, what if the tight end caught, you know, uh, six passes a game? They were thinking, uh, what if the tight end went out for two passes a game? And, uh, and they changed the the whole spectrum. I, well, I got something, yeah, because so Dan Coriel, you know, Eric Coriel played with, uh, oh, Kellen Winslow, Kellen Winslow Sr. Oh, yeah. And I mean, he was really one of the first tight ends that was basically just a big, tall, fast wide receiver in the, in the yeah. slot, Around in the inside slot. what time slot. would that be? Time that would have been in the probably late 70s. So, but he probably didn't get utilized 80s. the way he could have been, correct? Uh, he probably could have been a Tony G, and they just no, no. He he kind of was. I'm oh, saying, okay, okay. Th- I would say that he was the the forerunner to Tony G because he that it was uh, James Joyner or Char- Charlie Joyner, James uh, Jones. I can't remember, and then Kellen Winslow with with uh, Dan Fouch throwing to him, and that offense was prolific. Yeah. You could not stop them. And so I think that so Kellen Winslow probably was that forerunner, but then there was a, a time period that tight ends were, went back to just blocking uh, yeah. the big tackles that could act, actually catch a pass every now and then, or agile tackles, and then you had Tony Gonzalez and and Shannon Sharp probably to some degree. 
that came along and, and started changing the game. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, and to then, give just one more thing to, to give Tony Gonzalez his credit is uh, I think he got dad all the way up to like third place in fantasy football a couple of years. So uh, mm-hmm. so that's a pretty amazing feat. <laughs> I don't know if that's a dig at dad. It sounds like a dig, but it sounds yeah. like a dig. But <laughs> yeah, I am was. a three time winner. I am a three time winner. <laughs> oh, oh, here we go. <laughs> Just call um, me Trey. <laughs> <laughs> I, another thing about old Tony G, he kind of, there probably is another guy, but he's the first guy I remember that was a basketball player turned tight end. Yeah. He was actually Which at Cal playing. Became with, the meme. Did you know, Dad, you probably know this. When he was at Cal playing basketball, he was playing with another really good point guard, probably a Hall of Famer in his sport. You know uh, what I'm talking about? Would that be Jay Kidd? Yeah, he played with Jay Kidd at wow. Cal. Yeah. And then moved over to basketball. And then, hell, now you look at it, you got. Jimmy Graham, Antonio Gates. You, you just, oh, yeah. like, it seems like they're always like as soon as you can't make it quite as a tight end or as a forward, put him in put him in football, see what he can do in the pads. And then yeah. and then look at how the <clears throat> positions changed. Twenty years later, now Jimmy Graham's like legit held out a couple years ago because the franchise tag as a tight end wasn't fair because he was saying he's a receiver, which Which he I, was. He was producing yeah, like I think a it's receiver. a very fair argument. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that the the way the tight end positions uh changed over the years is a lot of credence to Tony G and what he did in his career. So shout out to old Tony G. I wanted, we, we mentioned, uh, um, it seems this year, this time of year with, with all the preseason games, you know, this is kind of like the, the, this next like two weeks is when you go, Oh shit. I didn't realize that guy signed with blank team. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was just like, I was like looking through some rosters. I forgot like Gerald McCoy left the bucks and now is playing for the Panthers you got Tyron Matthew is now playing with the Chiefs, which yep. that could be really good for him. And then the That's one huge. that I totally blanked on, Earl Thomas is now at the Ravens. And I kind of thought about it because, you know, Ed Reed was so good at the Ravens. And Earl Thomas, while he might not be Ed Reed, that could That's, be proved yeah. to be really good. I was looking at – I saw some numbers from the Seahawks defense with and without Earl Thomas from 2016 to last year. With, they played 29 games, had 30 interceptions. So that's 1.03 interceptions a game. Without, they played 19 games and had seven interceptions, so .37 INTs a game. So I I think Earl Thomas can really change the defense. Makes a difference. This time of year is just that where you see a guy like, oh, C.J. Anderson, he's on the Lions now, or oh, this guy's I got on one this too. Uh, I think uh, maybe a good sleeper pick is Carlos Hyde's a Chief now, am I correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think, think he could be huge. really good at the Chiefs. And yeah. that shocked me when I saw like, oh, he's looking good, uh, taking over for uh, who, Damian Williams or whatever. Right. And uh, – yeah, I mean that's that could be huge. Boy, it's not just to that, get too crazy off on a digression, but isn't Damian Williams going to be the back, or do you think Carlos Hyde's going to be the back? Well, that's what I thought. That's the I was thinking Damian out. Williams, no doubt. Yeah. But then I'm like LJ when I realized Carlos Hyde's there. I was like, I think Carlos Hyde has some. He's, he's, got, some, he's a good back. He's got some he's still tread ready. on the tires. Yeah. I guarantee yeah. you. Yeah. But either way, whoever just, wins that job, somebody worth you know looking into. So. Yeah, because that offense is going to score points. I don't yeah. care what happens. That Andy Reid's running back. I mean, his playoff record, you know, stands yeah. to be debated, but his running back's going to score points. Yeah, promise. I mean, I, to the point that I'm not even sure that Kareem Hunt's that great of a running back. Um, I think we'll see. That we'll see. Andy Reid can just do it. You know, it's just a it, it's it's a lot of new faces and new places, and you know, it's a new season. Like speaking of new faces and new places, you got Antonio Brown and the Raiders. Le'Veon Bell, Le'Veon Bell's with the Jets, Odell Beckham's in Cleveland. But the one thing that has not changed is where I'm putting my money down this year when it where comes you to doing betting that? on all He's the doing games. it at the bar. Oh, no, no, no. Wait. <laughs> well, no, while I'm at the bar wasting <laughs> yeah. all that money, I'm going to be Just getting all my money phone. back. 
<laughs> because I'm going to be on mybookie.ag on my phone, which is <laughs> the place to bet on football every weekend. I don't care if it's NFL, college, AFL. I don't. If maybe you're getting in the Canadian football league, who knows? Agriculture meets. my bookie. <laughs> my bookie is the place to bet, and right now. They're doing something really cool. They're doing this year. They're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least one hundred thousand dollars, and only cost a hundred dollars to enter. All you gotta do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. And if you enter in right now, if you're gonna go sign up at my bookie, make sure you put in the promo code JPP to let them know you boys over here at the at the Just Press Play Pod sent you over there. I, I don't know who you should bet on. It, I, I'm not that smart, but I know who you should bet with. And my bookie, it's it's a no-brainer at this well, point. Well, and and you might, if you're trying to figure out who to bet on, I mean, I can give you some advice because we we might do the bye-bye-bye again this year and just avoid oh, yeah. those teams. That's all you got to do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's it. That's, it's that easy. It's that easy. Yeah. <laughs> They're just they're they're the best when it comes to it. Just visit my bookie online today. It's M Y B O O K I E, and don't forget to use the promo code JPP to let them know that we sent you over there. Mm-hmm. You bet, you win, they you pay. That's, that's all it is. So <laughs> yes, sir. Um, we talked about which actually over at my bookie you can bet over unders on fantasy football scores too, which is kind of it's a new thing they're adding where you can like bet Patrick Mahomes to go over under twenty one points or something. So I think that's kind of cool. But mm-hmm. I wanted to get into it's that time of year. Everyone's drafts rolling up. It's fantasy football draft season. Yeah. And the first thing I wanted to say was, don't be the t- the league that drafts like this early. Wait, yeah. wait till like week two or three of the preseason at least. So yeah. You get some of those injuries or holdouts out of the way. I just, the one year I drafted early, like we drafted like August first, and that's when you end up screwing around and getting, you know, Ezekiel Elliott or Melvin Gordon. And then you realize they're holding out, or you get a guy that. There's we know ACL. it's going to happen soon. We know the ACL is going to get yep. torn by someone prominent. Speaking of which, I mean, Jordy Nelson's year. usually that guy, and you might have picked up Jordy Nelson right before he retired this year. So Right, right. <laughs> and, it, well, and another reason, I, you know, you can tell football season's in the air because I checked my phone and I got a Cowboys notification that Sean Lee was hurt. So, yeah. <laughs> so I knew it was that time of year. I knew we we're, were getting right, right. in the thick of things. <laughs> but I want to talk a little bit about fantasy football and not really like – players and who we like because you can go somewhere else we might touch that one day but today i want to talk about the three of us all started fantasy football at a very very different time you know when i started it was all online and everything but i wanted to go back back in the day pops when when was the first time you played fantasy football well i was trying to figure that out i think that it was 1993 I think 93. it was 93, yeah. Well, I can tell you real quick, Matt, that's 25 years ago since yeah. that was the year I was born. <laughs> Somebody's done that math before. <laughs> well, I remember because I know I was living in Texarkana, and we drafted at a little lake house, and we, we all got in a room, and, I mean, there were no electronics. I mean, nobody had yeah. a laptop. Right. It was all, you know, a piece that of paper. That blows my mind. Yeah, you had to pencils. know the players. Uh, like you had to know year, the players. Last year, I brought a piece of paper. Like I had like some tear stuff, so I had some paper, and everyone looked at me funny. They're like, "Why are you bringing paper <laughs> and a pen?" Yeah, but well, like a computer, even at? more a so. Lot of like, us still do, but I find myself at times like having to look up, like, "Okay, so who's the handcuff to my guy? Like, who who's that that second running back on this team or whatever?" I mean, in Dad's first league, you had to know, or else you, you don't get know. out. So you like, so know, dad, yeah. like if I was this year, if I draft Damian Williams, maybe I want to go get the, the handcuff and I'm like, oh shit, Carlos Hyde's there. Like I can just Google that. 
Y'all yeah. had to know. You had to know <laughs> who was know. there. That's could, you couldn't say, well, actually, could you say, could you say, I'll take the number two running back at Kansas City? No. Or do you, you have to have a name? a name? You had to say a name. <laughs> oh, man. And, and it was so bad. I don't even know if y'all would know, but I think it was in 93. One of the guys like had picked number four and took Jim McMahon. And Jim McMahon, you know, <laughs> okay. he was a good player, but it was like, I mean, oh, my God, if you want him. And then one year we were drafting and it was like around 18 and somebody drafts Emmett Smith, you know, and Emmett Smith like went number two in the draft. I mean, this was the guy that opened the Jack Daniels bottle and threw the top away. That was that guy. He threw it in the fire. Yeah. I think to this day when we have a pick like that, we still call it a Meisenheimer. That's what we call it. So... yeah. So, so here, I was going to tell you a few other things. Of course, now you, you're, you know, you can check your scores out on your phone at any time and know where like you instantly. are. It's like yeah. live updated no, all the time. Not back in the day. Back in the day, the official scorekeeper was the USA Today. If the USA Today said it, that was official. <laughs> Period. End of, end of conversation. It was USA Today. We had, we kept our own scores. The commissioner would keep every score and put out a letter from the commissioner. Probably we'd do it once a week. And if he was really on his game, it'd be by Tuesday. But usually it was Wednesday or Thursday. And we're sitting at the fax machine, the fax oh machine God. with bated breath. Like I can remember Bob and I in the same office. And Bob was like, did you check the fax? Did you check the fax? I said, no, did you check the fax? So we're over there waiting on the fax to come oh out God. with the write up. Well, it that's what I was kind of wondering. So I knew someone had to manually do it because, I mean, we weren't as online, obviously, as we are today. So I was wondering, like, was there ever a time where you're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. My guy had blank amount of yards. He had two touchdowns. Did y'all ever argue about that, or was it just the Why, USA hell Today yeah. was, <laughs> but, was a law? But yeah, you could, you'd argue about it, but you'd go to the USA Today in whatever way they scored and it. Was that was a official, period. <laughs> that was it. Because somebody, seems like it was a Minnesota quarterback that threw a ball and caught it himself and then ran it in for a touchdown. You know, it got batted. Yeah. And so I think USA Today scored it as a pass – by the quarterback, a yeah. reception by the quarterback, and a touchdown. So you know you got points on both ends. So just if they, it just depends on how they a, a, a kick a returned punt or kickoff or any of that. It just depends on how they scored it. So and that's the way we win. That also means that someone though, like commissioners, doing the math himself, right? Oh yeah. So was there ever? How many times was there questioning? You know, wait a minute, wait a minute, because I bet y'all added up like you wouldn't pull your USA today, and you're like. My guy should have had 24 points, not 21. Well, I guarantee you there were some discussions, but I, if you know the guys that are in my league, Phil started it out. Phil was the first commissioner and really got Shout us into Phil. it. And Phil's, I mean, I love him. He's a little anal. And so he's pretty good for the job, you know? And so he started us out. I mean, you could argue with Phil, prove him wrong, You were, but he didn't prove Phil wrong very often. <laughs> Not very often. Well, so how did the how did you get approached? Like, because it was not mainstream when I first played fantasy football. It was like everybody was doing it already. Like, was this? How did you hear about fantasy football first? Uh, I guess it's my baseball first question. came first, right? I think there baseball. was rotisserie, rotisserie baseball, baseball. Yeah, is the first thing I heard. The which name is why of. all of the things are called like Roto World or whatever. Sure. Yeah. But my recollection is is Phil Carter. Shout out Phil. Kind of said, "Hey guys, this is something that we really ought to get into. We all like sports. Blah blah blah." And he kind of talked us into doing it. And then here we are 25 plus years later, you know, still doing it. And as much as anything, and I know y'all will agree, I mean, it is a great way to keep up with buddies, you know? Oh, yeah. No doubt winning is fun. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. That year you win is fun. But it's just like 
the reason to have that group chat and the reason to text and the reason to meet up and talk crap. It's, yeah. It's, it's just keeping up with friends. It's, that's I mean, it's, it it's at least for us two weekends a year that we just get together and bust each other's balls. That's all yeah. we do. You yeah. know, we do it at, around the draft. And then as you, I know you two guys know, we always have a winter meeting yeah. where we, oh, uh, yeah. where ostensibly the reason is to make up new rules, but, <laughs> but really it's of, like, it's like, Hey, do you remember when you drafted Le'Veon Bell with the fourth pick last year and he didn't play a single down? Like that's kind of those kind of, it's, yeah. It's oh yeah. Kind of well, yeah, so question two on this, uh, is, so you guys this have is some, awesome. like, I love this history on fantasy football. <laughs> pop. <laughs> you guys have some like wackadoo rules. If you compare it to like standard scoring leagues, right? Like I think, would you agree with that? Well, I mean, I you guess know, like we, double points and all. Double well, points okay. if you do something outside but, of your position. Yes, but we Milestones. made it simple. We, you know, our scoring was six, six, nine, and twelve. So uh, nine yards and in touchdown was six. From uh, ten to thirty-nine is nine points, and from forty over is twelve points. Unless you're a running back and you caught one, then that say an eighteen-point score would be thirty-six. You would double it if you did it by a way different than you typically would score. That's crazy. But but the reason we did it that way too, though, is it's pretty easy to keep up with. You know, yeah. did Emmett Smith catch that from the ten yard line? Okay, yeah, that's mean, that's I eighteen say, points. I remember I remember watching back in the day with pops. He could kind of calculate like as the bottom line shows the stats. He can kind yeah. of calculate. Okay, I but I think I head. should have about sixty two. But, or but the easier way is the standard way, right? Where it's like you just take the number of yards somebody got. And then you take the number of uh, touchdowns they got, and then those give you obvious numbers that you would get. Like that seems like you have but to see, know. You have to have a, a much more detailed box score to calculate your scoring really, system. Than because, no, because like there's so much more math. I feel like in the way that like now it's like all right, no. 97 yards. It's 9.7 plus two points per reception or a point per reception. Well, if you do PPR, PPR is another level. Touchdown. But if you do standard, if you just do straight standard, then it's like he had two touchdowns and 97 yards. That's 12 plus 9.7. But also, Dad and them never, they only got points, I think. 100. The, you had to get 100, 100 yards. yards. So if it was 97 yards, I know. don't worry about the points. But I'm saying that that, re- that requires a better box score than just the thing that ticks across the bottom that says Emmett Smith got 97 yards and three touchdowns. You have to know how Dude, long out those touchdowns were. because it'll say receiving touchdown. It usually we didn't have the crawl back then. We didn't well, have, have the crawl. This is, I mean, that's the other thing is like scores. I knew you didn't, I knew I mean, you didn't have the internet. Had. I knew Red Zone Channel wasn't around. The ticket's not they even as old as They didn't even have the damn yellow line yet. The crawl? We didn't have the crawl. No crawl, no yellow line. When the ticket came out, we were in heaven. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could watch any game anytime. Oh, well, I mean, I remember I remember when the yellow line got invented, how that changed the way that I was able to watch football, because I didn't really ever know when a first down was close or not. I was young. I was stupid. But uh, but yeah, it's no. changed. Yeah, very much. Uh, <laughs> well, here's something that'll bridge the gap, though, Will, is so what we really did a lot was watch Boomer and TJ. And yeah. NFL prime time. Yeah. Or, wasn't it prime time? Yeah. NFL prime time. Right. Fastest two minutes. And Fastest. Yeah. But we'd watch them from like six to seven or six thirty to seven, whatever. And that's where Boomer, you really figure out how you're Boomer team and did. TJ, they showed the highlights and you would get the yards. They put the little thing up at the end and you'd get everything down. So you could pretty much calculate your score. We figured out our scores a lot by Boomer and TJ, but then it wasn't official. Yeah, until so USA, Today, USA Today came <laughs> out. USA Today um, came out. So then, uh, did players pick more? Like, wh- I, I would imagine generally in a, in any league, players are going to be picked more locally. Like, you're going to be a little bit of a Kool Aid drinker. But I would imagine back then it's even more so because you're going to be more likely to watch Cowboy games than you are to watch 
say a Jets game, the Patriots game, yeah, the yeah. Jets game. So yeah. like, who care? Like, who wants uh, Curtis Martin? Um, you're going for you know whoever's playing quarterback, maybe in New Orleans, because you're more likely to get that game. Is that? Well, I know that running back that was habitually on Dad's team was old Fred Taylor. I felt like he was always yeah. on Dad's team. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Fred Taylor had all the ability and talent, yeah. and just he, oh, his play, his, yeah. his his roof was. I really shouldn't have said that. I didn't realize I was <laughs> going to get him started, LJ. <laughs> Boy, he burned me a lot of times. Because uh, you know what Fred Taylor would do? He'd get 86 yards. You know how many points that gets you? Zero. Nada. No TDs oh, and 92 I, if any, yards. If any of his fantasy boys are listening right now, they're just rolling around <laughs> laughing because they did give him the same BS all the time. But, yeah, of course, we had some homers in there. But you've got, you know, some of us old heads that have been in it for a while. I mean, you know, Tony, he well, always now, did his research. Obviously, you, you'll you do your, whatever your thing is. But I'm asking, like, those those first, like, three or four years, was that, like, yeah. a driving factor being local sort of thing? Like, Well, it was like that guy taking Jim McMahon first in the draft that year, and that would have been in the 90s. He was past his prime, but yeah. he wanted Jim McMahon because he, I don't know, he had a, he wore headbands with his silly <laughs> shit on him. I don't know why he wanted I'm him. I'm trying to think of who, like, I'm trying to c- compare that to something today. I mean, that, I don't know. That'd be like taking Drew Bledsoe when he got to the Cowboys first in the first round hey, or something. Last year, we still got a knucklehead in our group. Still well. Still well took Dak Prescott in the first round just last <laughs> There's year. There's your homer, LJ. Yeah. There's your homer. I well, mean, and I feel like picking Jim McMahon is a lot like picking uh, Jay Cutler in any year that he played. <laughs> I feel like that's a very similar sort of player. But So, you, it's funny you mentioned like someone who got picked early. Do you, LJ, do you remember uh, – the first time you played it fantasy football and like any in particular about like that first that first time. I mean, uh, it was pretty recently. You were in the league with me the the first year I played. Um, yeah, no, I I really didn't get into it until super late. So like what, oh, three, wow. three, four years ago when we started the league that we've been in uh-huh. um, and I got second place. So I thought like, oh, obviously I'm a god. And then uh, the past three <laughs> years have really shown me how little uh, awareness I actually really brought have, you back down, yeah. brought you back down to the floor here. Yeah, that uh, that Gronk for Jamal Charles trade that I made last year, I think, was uh, really telling of how how smart <laughs> I am at fantasy football. But I, I, I think my first year was somewhere around like sixth grade or something. It's like oh six. And I, I remember I thought so. I, obviously, I played a lot of Madden back then, and I had a, a franchise with with the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, and on my franchise, Carson Palmer, Chad Johnson, Hushmanzada, <laughs> yeah. and Rudy Johnson all led the league in their respective categories. Yeah, so, so I obviously, fantasy football is going to be the same way. These guys are all really good. I drafted all four of them. Yeah. That was the year I believe that uh, Palmer tore his ACL, and yeah. and Hoosh didn't do much, and it it was a bad year. I thought maybe fantasy football isn't for me, but I stuck around. I've been doing it ever since, and. I'm kind of like Pops, you know, it's that group, it's sticking with the same group and being with that. I mean, you probably have a couple that come in and out, but just, it's a reason to, to stay connected. Well, I'll tell you, Kevin, I think you had the best fantasy football name I've ever heard in my life. Which one's, what's that? Somewhere over Dwayne Bow. <laughs> that was back in the gap. Yeah, that was a good yeah. one. That was a good one. I feel didn't good you, about that. Didn't one of y'all have my Vic in a box or something? <laughs> that was one of my, yeah, that was... <laughs> <laughs> that was your Mike Vick really was awesome that year when he came back for the Eagles. My um, Vick in a box. But so so no. now it's time. It's time to, to to really gear up fantasy football. I mean, if you if you aren't paying attention now, you, you if you're wanting to win, you you probably need to start looking at your teams and, and start getting ready. So I, it's an exciting time. It's always fun for me. It's always it's kind of like you know the NFL draft. L we talked about this before. Yeah. Where it's really exciting. You draft your team. You're like I drafted a bat. I love talking to everybody after our draft because yeah. everybody's like 
I really think this is the best team I've ever drafted. And then yeah. week one rolls around, and everyone's so like, like dad will say chicken little, where like the first week rolls around, and you're like, oh crap. I should not have drafted Le'Veon Bell at the Jets. This is gonna suck, you know. Now, see, for me, for me, it takes about it, it's like week twelve is when I start thinking, "Oh God, wait, did I mess up?" Because I always think like, yeah. "Well, but but wait a second, because once Le'Veon Bell's back playing, then like I've got a championship team." But like, lo and behold, like whatever yeah, ACL LJ, I've LJ's lost, four and eight, and he's like, yeah. "But if he ends his holdout this week, well, that's what I, I, I always say every single year. It's like if I make the playoffs, I'm winning." Um, which is probably not true, but also I don't make the playoffs often. So <laughs> I wanted to switch sports with you guys a little bit. And I know we we've talked a little bit about this off the recording. I don't know if we've done it on the pod at all, but I was I was watching so Saturday I was kind of just on my computer, on my phone, you know, scrolling through the internet and stuff. And I had ESPN was on, so I was watching some of the uh, UFC fights, MMA fights, and I I'm not even a hundred percent sure who I was watching. But it was one. Of, it was the really good ref. I know it was the 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 ref, the black ref in the in UFC with the dreads. He's like their head guy. He's like one of their main ones. Okay. And it was a fight where the the fighter had him in like a headlock, and the guy tapped, and the because he wasn't able to breathe. Obviously, like he was he was done. He realized, oh crap, I'm I'm not I'm in a headlock. I can't breathe, and so he tapped. But the ref couldn't see because he's on the other side, and all it took was literally three seconds after that tap that the ref didn't notice. And the dude went like out, like passed out, and it was kind of scary because I thought, wow, I didn't, I just didn't think, because one, it's it's easy, like the the announcers were talking about him missing that tap, and it, they were like trying to say it's not the rest. That's that's really tough. The refs running all over the place, and it, sometimes you it happens, you just miss a tap. But it only took was three seconds, and he blacked out, and I, that's different than CT where the the drama to like the trauma to the brain, but just how quick he passed out, and then you saw the other fighter. It wasn't even like out of the ordinary, the other fighter ran around and like picked his legs up. I don't know if that's supposed to like help circulation or something. Maybe but, seems yeah. like you do elevate their legs. Maybe, but as soon something. as the fighter, the other fighter got up, because the other fighter knew he put him to sleep and he was just waiting for the ref to call it. And as soon as he did, I almost thought he was like going to do another move. And I was wondering what the hell is this fighter doing? And I realized he's just lifting his leg, trying to help him out. Yeah. So it was just so, it was so obvious. Like, oh, that's just something that happens. And then uh, we talked about it before, but and this is another sport that just reminded me how I, MMA, I do enjoy some of it, but there's so much violence and so much part that kind of mm. scares the living shit out of me. And then we talked about this off the pod, but what was the the boxer? The other, I think there's two now, but what was the boxer we talked about before? Dad, that um, passed away yeah. right after the fight. It it was a it was a Russian guy that I I wasn't very familiar with, but he had a very promising career. He was like I don't know maybe sixteen and zero with fourteen knockouts, you know. Jeez. Young guy, I think he was he was twenty eight at at most. I think he may have been younger than that. Um, this was his first fight in the states, and and I watched like the last his, two or three rounds of the fight. Again? His name was Max Maxim Dadashev. Okay, Dadashev D D A D A S H E V Dadashev. Okay, but real promise, and this is boxing, you know, not MMA. Um, and, and really, what happened? His trainer was a guy named Buddy McGirt that I remember watching fight, you know, back in the day. And and I think I know LJ can attest, and maybe even you, Kevin. But boxing was huge. I yeah. mean, we, we used to wait on Saturday nights on yep. HBO every Saturday night. boxing matches. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this Dadashev was was fighting, and he was taking some punishment, but he was fighting back. You know, it was one of those where the refs just couldn't stop it because he's throw he's fighting back. He's yeah. kind of taking a beating, but he's 
He's fighting back. He he's seems kind of to have his wits. Like your boy Arturo Gatti, where he yeah. oh yeah, exactly. Like our and Arturo Gatti used to take a beating and then come back and, and then come beat win that the fight. Yeah, shit out of the guy. Yeah. So, so the refs um, aren't in the wrong by not calling this fight. It's just part no. of boxing, right? So. And as a matter of fact, I believe it was the eleventh round. They finished the eleventh round, and the Dadashev goes back to his corner, and Buddy McGirt, doing what a good manager will do, says, "Hey, look, man, I'm going to stop the fight. You're taking too much punishment." And the guy's just kind of staring at him like he doesn't know. I don't remember him saying no, don't, but he wasn't agreeing to it. And finally, McGirt did what a good fight, a, a manager should do. He turned around and goes, look, that's it. I've had enough. Yeah. Stops the fight. The guy gets off his bench. I think, you know, he, he looks okay. They start leading him out of the ring. He collapses. Um, and then on the way to his locker room, apparently he began violently vomiting, which are signs of head trauma, head trauma and apparently brain swelling. And wound up the guy died. You know, his his wife was on the plane on the way to the States to see her husband when she found out. She was in the air when this all happened. Yeah. I mean, this is a 28-year-old guy, uh, from all accounts, a great guy. And he just took a little... His heart was bigger than his than his I, brain, you know, could handle. I can't just, remember the exact quote from, from McGirt, but I know McGirt was talking about it. And it was tearing him up inside, as you can imagine. He was like, I yeah. mean... Dajashev did everything right, training for the fight. He was in peak condition. He was in great shape. Mm-hmm. Sure, he took some punches, but I mean, he was it was boxing. I mean, he's done it in sixteen other fights. Do. You know, it, it happens. And he called the fight, and he thought about calling it earlier. And now, he said at one point he mentioned like, "What if I'd have called it around earlier? What if I'd have called it around before that?" I could just now that guy one McGirt's always going to think about what if, and two McGirt said his one quote that really stuck with me, and I'm not going to get it exactly right, but it was kind of like. That's kind of the way boxing is. One punch is all it takes. And it might have just been that one extra punch. And, I mean, that's scary. I mean, we talk about football, how it can have lasting damage on you. But, I mean, the guy died. That, that yeah. The guy died. Yeah, that's well, the and, most and lasting he, damage. And all you know, McGirt and it, said, McGirt was like, that's boxing. Which is, that means boxing, they, they're going into it knowing this sport could kill you. Well, think about it in MMA or boxing. You're going in there. Man, you're going in there. One of you may not leave the ring. I mean, that's just that's just kind of the way it goes. It, it takes a, it takes some cojones to get in there and do that. And um, I just I feel bad for McGirt too. I heard Max Kellerman. I know y'all know Kellerman's kind of the the He's, new young you know, he boxing has his, guy. He has his hot take stuff that I'm not a big fan of Max Kellerman on. But boxing wise, he knows dude boxing. Knows his boxing. And and he was he was really he goes. This is a sport I love. I just love this sport. And unfortunately. Uh, this is this is part of it. I don't know what else to say. I do love the sport, but it gives me a bad taste in my mouth. You know, yeah. it's, it's it was just terrible. It, it's a horrible thing, and I yeah. know I don't watch it like I used to well, because that- I just know the damage. Even even you know Arturo Gotti, who you mentioned, wound up committing suicide uh, later in life. Or there's there there are some questions around his death, I believe. But you uh, yeah, just you, you know. You know the damage that they're doing to themselves just for my pleasure, for my viewing yeah. pleasure. Now they're making good money doing it, and I, you know, a, a man gets to do what he wants to do. Yeah. But I have a hard time it's just watching hard boxing. To enjoy now. that. It's hard to sit there in, in front of your TV like you and LG used to do on numerous Saturday nights. Numerous how you Saturday nights. Used to do on numerous yeah. nights and watch that and enjoy it, knowing, I mean, this could cut this guy's life short ten years or or hell for Dadashev, 40, 60 years. I mean, it, it's tough. Yeah. And LJ. Dadashev's not this was Dadashev was like a couple or Dadashev was a couple of weeks maybe three weeks ago and there's been another well and it was actually in the same week uh he fought I think did Dadashev do you know did he fight on a Tuesday and die or uh Saturday and die on a Tuesday 
Do you know whether that's the case? That sounds about right, LJ. So yeah. then if that's the case, which we might have to, you know, do your own research, it, it doesn't also necessarily matter that much. But that same Saturday, a man named Hugo uh, San, Santian, I believe is how you say it, Santian. Hugo Santian, uh, an Argentinian boxer, also fought on that same Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know anything about his. I know he's a part of uh, the the World Boxing uh, Council or something like that. Like he's he's in a, a very major league, but I don't know if he's how big of a deal he was. But uh, he uh, he had a fight. Fight ended. It was a draw. Um, and then after the fight, he was taken to the hospital with uh, successive kidney failures. And uh, by Thursday, he had uh, gone into his brain was swelling. He had gone into a coma and never regained consciousness. Uh, he went. He underwent surgery for a clot in his brain and uh, went into cardiorespiratory failure twice before dying of cardiac arrest, according to ESPN. And uh, so uh, Tuesday, Dada Dadashev died, and then uh, Thursday, Sentian died um, of that same week. So well, and you you know, I guess it it seems to be, and we've touched on this before that you don't see this that much with MMA. I mean, these guys so are a little nuts and crazy. I think and it's the repeated. I think the gloves almost well, are the gloves more are worse. damaging. The gloves, They're worse. in some sense, in the same way that in football, technically, take you could argue that a helmet is worse. Helmet? Yeah, that's an argument that a lot of people have. I don't know if I agree with it completely, but the helmet gives you that. There's a there's a fallacy that uh, the safer you make things, the more dangerous it becomes because people take more and more stupid risks, and that helmet makes people feel safe in uh, football, so they just spear with it and. Those gloves make people feel safer in boxing, so they'll go a little bit farther than they would if you were bare fist boxing. They'd also punch a little bit uh, harder than they would if you were bare fist boxing because it hurts your damn hand. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it really there. there's definitely something to that. But I think the thing that really like very selfishly bothers me about this is the I mean, I think especially it, it connects me. The, the two sports that really connect me the most of anything else in the world to my granddaddy are two sports that I have a harder and harder time watching every single year. And that just, that really bums me out that, um, that like, because they're the more we know, the more I realize how much this thing that I love because it reminds me of late night Saturdays with my dad or my granddaddy, or, you know, Sunday nights watching Jason Elam kick a 63 yard field goal at, at Mimi and granddaddy's house and stuff like that. Like those memories are the ones I remember. It's not, you know, the, the head pounding, but but like the more and more time goes on, the more those memories just mean something different to me. And it sucks. Like it, it sucks. Well, and I do think I totally agree with you. That it does. It, it, it kind of breaks your heart a little bit. Cause you're like, well, it's still a sport I love. And you kind of want to look over it, but it's it, at some point you can't keep ignoring it yeah. and, and keep yeah. ignoring what's going on. But I, I think to your point, dad, something interesting, I think MMA seems like it's more of a violent sport. Cause you see the brutal knockouts where the guy just like, knocks him cold all the time. But I think what it is, is it's like we're in the fight. The Dadashev died in. It wasn't that he got knocked. It was a culmination of blows. And it's like LJ has brought up before, I think in football where it's not necessarily that huge Steve Atwater hit. It's those offensive linemen keep getting her head, keep hitting it, keep hitting it because it's swelling already starts in the game. And then it keeps going because you keep getting jabbed in the head. Whereas boxing, that's kind of where it is. They, they keep taking shots, keep taking, they don't take that one, maybe, knockout blow but that glove keeps because the glove is a little more padded they keep taking shots and keep that vibration in the head and the skull i will Mm -hmm. say another thing that makes a difference in statistics is sample size right and so mma has x number of fights per year i mean there's like a limit to how much uh specifically the league of mma 
has. Plus, there are leagues all around the country, but it's not nearly as big of a sport as boxing, where there are, you know, on any given weekend night, there are probably a million boxing matches. So for two people to die in one weekend, statistically doing this blood sport um, is not as surprising as if in the hundred, a thousand, hundred thousand uh, MMA fights going on in one weekend. You know what I mean? I, I, I did want to share something with you all about football that I learned this past weekend. Um, met a buddy of mine. I saw him up at, at Little River, Hunter Corbel. Y'all, some of y'all may know him. He is a coach now up in, I believe it's it's Lincoln or Farmington. I think it's Lincoln up okay. in near near UCF. Uh, and he's a high school baseball coach, but he also coaches football. You know, a lot of those guys yeah, do and, right. and teaches. But he said, he said, you know what? Football is safer now than it's ever been. And he told me something I didn't know. He Not only is the teaching and the awareness of CTE, yeah. but even in, in their high school, they have sensors in their helmet. And if there is enough of a collision, it'll go off. A trainer's got a watch or a phone or something, and it'll trigger something. It'll say, hey, you need to go check on number 32's. Check on 32. He had, a big, he had the collision. His, his sensor in his helmet went off. That is a possible concussion. So the kid no longer has to come and be tough or yeah. anything like right. that. Because it's as like, we hey, know, the that kid's not. Like, that's, that's the sport this, of football is saying don't come out. So that, Well, that's exactly. You, can't tr- you cannot trust the you player. You can't trust the player. You can't trust the player. Just like you can't trust the fighter. You can't trust Adishem. You can't trust the quit. fighter. Yeah. Arturo Gotti. No, let me They're go. They're going to fight. You know. That's what they do. That's what makes them great. Yeah, that's what makes them great. Kevin Durant's going to play when he might not ought to. I mean, it's yeah, it's what it's what a great player will do. They need Mm -hmm. somebody to tell them not to. And so that's interesting. I didn't know that about. I don't think the NFL has that technology though. Why? Why the hell not? I'm assuming. I'm assuming they must. LJ, if they have it in high school. Uh, the NFL has you all kinds of technology that they with the helmet, and they do. And so they let's do some research right. into that, though, well, because I was shocked to hear that they do that at a high school level. The that other thing, amazing. though, that kills me that 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 does make better, right? What you're saying, mm-hmm. but the fact that the NFL lied about research leading to CTE for uh, probably a dozen years, and so research into CTE is a dozen years behind where it should be, and to the point that we're really still not even 100 percent sure what causes it. What are the signs of it? Are there signs of it? Is it something that shows up randomly in people that have this repeated trauma? Um, because like what what you're saying about like if a hit is big enough, we know to go check on them also is against the thing that I think I know about how uh, CTE is more about the just thousand hits you take on the head that may or may not be huge. And uh, well, no, you're totally right there. We don't know enough about it right now. We just don't. And so that's I mean, the thing that all your research you want, but we don't that's the thing sure. that I hate about the NFL right now, like absolutely despise is that we're 12 years behind where we should be. I mean, 12 because, is a number I'm pulling out of my ass, but, but uh, for, uh, literally for like, there was years ago, went by where the NFL hid how the date, like they were, Oh yeah. Concussions yeah. are bad. We don't need to have too many concussions, but they never even, even though there's evidence that they knew, Oh wow, there might be a, a lot bigger threat to this than we realized. They didn't yeah. want to say it because that that's a black mark on the NFL. Yeah. And that's that, that's not just a black market in the NFL. That's jeopardizing these people's lives and their livelihood. And that's tough. That's tough as a fan to know the NFL covered that up. Yeah. And, and 12 years of on, maybe take more the all take more, take more painkillers. Well, in 12 years okay. of maybe the, the most well-paid scientists in the world, right? Anybody doing research on something that's going to lengthen lives, especially for millionaires is going to make a lot of money. Um, and 12 years of their time could have been spent on this, but it wasn't, you know, and it wasn't that long ago. You guys remember, I mean, I, it it was, it was since dad started playing fantasy football that a guy got, a guy got hit real hard and you just went, Oh, he's going to go smell, get some smelling salts. He'll be, he got his bell rung. He's fine. 
Yeah, that was right. not that long ago at all. Like ten years, maybe yeah. a little more, probably more than that. I, I get. We were watching Jacked Up. Well, it might have been. I mean, OJ, you're you're getting close to the to the three O. I'm so that big three O soon. It, it might have been twelve to fourteen years ago because sure. I mean, I know y'all were around, but we used to watch Jacked Up. I mean, we've talked about that so much, and yeah. we hadn't seen Jacked Up in a long yeah. time. They, well, I mean, like we mentioned, uh, like an hour ago in the show or whatever it was that you know maybe that's what's keeping Steve Outwater out is how popular mm-hmm. Jacked Up was. So. And and to the the whole argument, just to wrap it all up, uh, about whether if boxing or MMA is uh, more dangerous. I, one, boxing might seem more dangerous this time because there's more of a, like the LJ kind of said earlier, sample side. Boxing's been around a lot longer, so we know more about it, whereas MMA is still a relatively new sport. So we're still learning, and we're still figuring out. And we're still learning about brain trauma and CT. Yeah. I feel like every year a new study comes out, it's like, oh, and learn a little more. And I did want to give a shout out. LJ shouted out a podcast last week. I wanted, I got a buddy, uh, Jordan and has a podcast called untrained experts and they just mainly MMA, but MMA and fighting and stuff. And if, if you're a big boxing and MMA fan, they, they really touch on like every week. Wait, Jordan, news. like Jordan, like Jordan. I know Jordan. Yeah. Has a podcast. Yeah, my boy Jordan Owens. Yeah. Untrained experts. Hell yeah, dude. Okay. Yeah, I have to check that out. I had no it's idea. It's pretty cool. It's a cool little name too. Cause untrained experts. And yeah. Talking about MMA. Like, I know. I feel it's, like it's that guy. Name. Um, yeah. But they got a good a good podcast. They talk about MMA and, and all things fighting and stuff, and it, it's really cool. But I do think it's something you know it's it's something every fan grapples with. Even I've talked to him, and it's like yeah, it's kind of kind of like it's fun to watch it, but at the same time you're kind of like oh that knockout could have knocked you could have hurt that guy. Well, and, okay, so some, you just you just said a word that made me realize why MMA might be much safer. Is uh, a lot of MMA fights will come down to a grapple instead of a knockout. Yeah. So. Um, it's hard to fall into a coma from saying, uh, my, my arm almost got broken and then, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Now I want to get to something with you guys that I, ever since I read the article, I've kind of been following a little bit. I, I didn't know for sure if you guys had, I, I was pretty sure LJ probably had just cause it's right up his alley. Um, uh, did you guys you think I might have an opinion a, about a thing? Well, that's possible. Well, yeah, LJ always has an opinion about something, but this was specifically about music. And I, I knew when I was reading, I was like, this, if LJ doesn't know about this, I know this is right up, right up his wheelhouse. And it was uh, earlier this this past week, a federal ju- jury found that Katy Perry was guilty of copying a Christian rap song to create Dark House back in or Dark Horse back in Dark Horse, yeah. And they kind of saying she copied the beat, and she's going to have to pay. Two point eight million. Uh, uh, Two point seven eight million dollars, and I, I, I'll lay out a little bit for you. The jury found that Perry and her collaborators, co- collaborators, is that the right way to say? Collaborators. It? I, you know, I collaborators. Every now, collaborators. Collaborators. Yeah. Yeah. Words. You know, words can be tough. It's not like we talk <laughs> for a podcast or anything. But yeah, Perry and her collaborators copied elements of the 2009 song "Joyful Noise" by Marcus by Gray, aka Flame, who's a Christian rapper. And they first took her to court in 2014, citing that because she said she had never heard the song and blah, blah, blah. And they cited that her Christian background, because if you remember before I Kissed a Girl, she was, I think, a Christian singer. Yes, she was. Yeah. And they said that background is proof is she probably had heard the song before. But I wanted to I wanted to ask you guys. So if you've listened to the two songs, I know LJ was saying he had before, but you can hear a little bit of resemblance between the two. But is this not a, a slippery slope? Oh, no. and Corey's pissed right now. I don't. I, I can't. I, when I when I when I 
t- I was like taking some notes down. I thought, ooh, this is a per- is actually pertinent and fits to say slippery slope. And then Corey's gonna be just like, <laughs> she's doing the key smash, Dad. She's she's hitting all the buttons at the same time. <laughs> we are gonna get that text message. You're right. But no, so I, I, I was reading uh, Perry's lawyer made the argument saying that they're trying to own the basic building blocks of music, yep. the alphabet of music that should be available to everyone. So initially, my first thought was, I got to know what LJ and dad think about this. So LJ, wh- what were your thoughts? Because you said I mean, following this. I think that this might be one of the most dangerous things to ever happen to songwriting in the history now, of time. Are you being a little, little, little crazy or are you? No. Are you I'm I'm being completely honest in what I believe that this is. I think the the scary thing here is that there. So if you've listened to the two uh, songs back to back, and do not listen to the thing that tries to mix them together because that is misleading. Um, yeah. In in your context, like I'm gonna post Miriam. a video that kind of gives you the. Uh, it's gonna lay out this and a couple of other things, but I would listen to like LJ said each song. Solely yeah, separately. Yeah. And uh, and also there's someone who makes a lot of the arguments that I'm willing to make much better. So I'll send Kevin this video too. this guy named Adam Neely did a story on it. Um, and and he he tells don't sell yourself short. I think you I think you're going to do a great job. No, this. he's <laughs> thank you. But he's <laughs> he's he makes a living in music theory. So he's going to be better at it than me. But uh, we need our boy Jacob Collier here. But Jacob yeah. Collier, yeah. we need. <laughs> but uh but the the reason that I think this is one of the most dangerous things that ever happened to music is there are two things that you could argue that they had the same. And you you'd have to argue strongly because they are not the same, but you could argue it. And it's the tone of those two sounds, the ostinato, um, which if you guys know what ostinato means, it's it's like Explain a quarter. Like I'm a fourth grader. It's like, OK, so do you know what a quarter note is? Let's no a fourth grader doesn't. Uh, so let's <laughs> say a fourth grader LJ. So when you count a beat, you go one, two, three, four, one, two, okay. three. Like the drummer goes, uh, one, two, three, four. Okay, right. So the one, two, three, four is the quarter notes, right? You have four quarter okay. notes and a four, four measure. So an ostinato is four. It's it's quarter notes, um, but it's played sharp and short to emphasize the rhythm and the melody. But it is neither rhythm nor melody. So it's the Boom, 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 boom. And we're about to get sued by Flame for me doing that. Um, but so I, know, I was going to play like a sample of a Flame song. Then I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're, they're quick. It's dangerous. Court, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Well, they're not quick. It takes it takes about 10 years, but I don't think we can afford to wait on it. So, yeah. No. Um, but so uh, so that's the ostinato. That's the thing that is the the similar thing here. Right. And you can argue that the notes are similar. Or you could argue that the tone is similar, which in the court case, they argued both. Now, if you argue that the tone is similar and that's enough for a court case, as Adam Neely points out in this video that I'll, I'll post for you guys, then that means that you can copyright a tone, which means that you could, in theory, copyright a grand piano or an organ. And you can copy once you copyrighted the organ, then you can call out all of blues rock from the 70s and say, well, they took my organ sound. And so that's dangerous. Am I right? Like, that sounds so, awful. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like you are completely illustrating that. I'm sorry, Aunt Corey. This is a slippery slope. It's a very slippery I mean, slope. The other thing too is you could argue that they are taking the minor step down as something that you can copyright. That you can go from the third of a minor scale to the second of a minor scale to the first of a minor scale, and you call that something that you own. Which means to me, there are a finite number of notes in the world, and once you have copyrighted all of the finite. Uh, not even and and the thing is that these notes aren't the same, right? These notes that they played in these songs are different. But once you've 
uh, said that the the position on the scale going downward is something you can own. It means that you own the sound like the 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 you own the minor scale like flame is arguing that he owns the minor scale. And that means that I can't write a song using the minor scale without getting sued. So what it really is scary about is the justice system, right? That means that the courts don't understand enough about music to say that if you say that either of these things are true, then you are really hampering every songwriter that exists in America today. Um, right. That, which is horrifying that was the thought me. of mine. Cause I thought, you know, it, it doesn't matter what LJ or dad thinks or what any musician thinks it's in the eyes of the law. Yeah. They saw that Perry owes legally Grant right now. That is copyright dollars. Yeah. The other, I, I want to throw out just a funny thing about the court case is that they uh, brought in the speaker to play the two songs back to back and the speaker broke. So then Katy Perry suggested that she should just sing the song in court. And uh, they, they said, please don't. And so I think that's hilarious that uh, it came down to that. <laughs> but but no, I think this is horrifying. I think like uh, our our boy uh, Truth, he he samples songs. That's one of the things he does is he he finds songs that he likes. He samples them. He transforms them into something completely new that is different than the original. Better in in a lot of ways, in my opinion. He really transforms them, especially. And uh, according to this, by even having a similar tone, that means he's committing a crime. And that that's heartbreaking for any sample artist. But it's even it's even crazier if you imagine that I can't create a song written on piano because someone owns the sound of a piano. Like that's baffling to me it's absolutely bad do you have a reaction to some of that yeah and and i really want to hear lj's because i i'm going to tend to side with lj on this i think he's the most knowledgeable but i will say that to me my first thought is you know what everyone's influenced by someone else yeah right always i mean yeah so can i interrupt yeah, you real quick yeah on yeah. that i want listeners when they listen to these two songs also listen to mims this is why i'm hot which came out before flames Joyful noise. Just want to throw that out there. They have the same f- damn ostinato well, now, sound. Yeah, now I haven't. I, I've not. I, know I don't the know song. that song. I know the song you're referencing, but I didn't think about it. But it's been around. That sound's been around since uh, Adam Neely will tell you since around the '60s. But yeah, please go on, Dad. There, yeah. Well, I just I, I do think that I, I don't know that I could put it the way you did, but I like the way you said you. You know, okay. So I put certain chord progression together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I don't know that I own that chord progression. Right. That's just notes. Notes are nobodies. It's, I, I like the term of the alphabet of music. Nobody owns the alphabet. Yeah. Right. And, right. And, and they're, right. so that's what, that's what her lawyer said. The alphabet of music should be available to everyone. That right. It's like if Faulkner in the middle of, uh, did he write For Whom the Bell Tolls? In the middle of that book, if he just wrote the alphabet and then anytime someone used a letter, he said, Whoa, whoa, I wrote that book already. You can't take that. That's absurd. That's crazy talk. Yeah, I, I I don't like it. You know, I do think, and I remember a lot like, uh, let's see, uh, Prince sampled uh, one of Roger and Zapp's song for Computer Love. I remember the song Computer oh, Love, which too. I like. Good song. But, but, you know, in the credits, it said sample from Roger and Zapp. So I would assume that Roger Troutman got some royalties you know, some minor. Well, so I think maybe couldn't Katy Perry have maybe solved this? Just go, you know what? We didn't use that or something, but we but sampled. She did? I mean, but they didn't sample it. They didn't sample it though. But if they didn't, then you're right. No, they didn't. They're different sounds. One is a sawtooth wave, and one of them is a is a is a totally different sound. One uses but a did glitch. They, did they? 
Did they listen, listen to this and, and decide that they, they might have heard this and thought like, I like the idea of this. But then, OK, so here's the thing that uh, that rhythm that you hear a lot in hip hop music, which is called uh, I think it's called the Celtic snap, which is the da 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 da. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK. So mm-hmm. then the first person that used that owns that then. Is that fair? No, I mean, no. I don't know. I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here because. So should we pay you, the you first person that owned argument. it to make it easier? Like that's no, absolutely not. Well, so my first thought was, and it's kind of, I think, going off of what dad was saying is like one of my favorite uh, rappers and, and hip hop artists is is Kanye. And Kanye is known for sampling stuff. And, yeah. And like you were saying with truth, you know, kind of sampling it and making it, it maybe not better, but changing it, you know, changing it into a whole different yeah. style. And right. And. I, I'm guessing when he samples, he probably gives some credit, but yeah, it, it, and it kind of goes to what Dad said. You know, every whether it's a whether it's Ed Reed and Ronnie Lott in football or whatever, everyone is kind of motivated or they build off of something they've seen, yeah. like every, motivated yeah. by something. And the same goes for music or for writing. Like you, you, you go to this this uh, medium to get motivated to create something of your own. And sure, if I create something kind of, Oh, I liked how they did that. Maybe I can do something like that, but different. I don't know. It just, it does seem like it, it seems kind of scary. I that, did. Like you said, LJ, I didn't listen to him. Uh, I listened to him kind of back to back a little bit and I felt like they were different songs. I mean, well, and, I, you know, were there some similarities? Yes. There were some slight similarities, but I felt like they were different songs. Well, and I think and, like the, the dangerous thing here is it doesn't even necessarily, if that's the bar for copyright infringement, I mean, that affects every medium. I mean, you think like, okay, so I uh, I want to write a movie that happens to have a hero that has to destroy an awful thing. Well, you know what? You just stole from Lord of the Rings, so you can't write yeah. that story no matter what. Like um, the idea of something reminding you of something being copyright infringement is absolutely insane. And and I think it even goes to like, I think we have good arguments to why samples should be allowed. And this isn't even a sample. It's a different sound Maybe they heard the song. Maybe they were inspired by it. But then you can't argue. I mean, listen to This Is Why I'm Hot by Mims. It's got a similar thing that's in a similar key that does a similar track down the minor scale. And uh, and and that song came first. So you think Flame didn't hear that song? Kevin, do you think a, a rapper in that era didn't hear no, This Is he Why I'm it. Hot? Heard it. De- Definitely. 100%. 100%. So, so then he's the thief, right? And we just keep going down the track until we get to the 60s where we're the the first time we sampled the song that mim sampled came from so um it's you know yeah it, I, it is interesting i knew i wanted to hear lj side because I, I knew he would kind of like my thought i had but i wasn't uh musically inclined enough to 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 say it i needed lj to come through with that <laughs> but it, it's kind of how we'd say with a lot of things you know again this isn't the first time this has happened i think lj kind of mentioned this before but Shoot, back in the 1990, Dad, you'll probably remember this, LJ too, but Vanilla Ice and, and Queen, back yeah. in 1990, Queen and David Bowie brought a lawsuit on Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby saying he copied the baseline of Under Pressure, which they later, later settled but, out of court. So. That, now, wait, okay, well, that's a good, I'm glad you brought that up. Now, that baseline sounded a lot to me like It is exactly the same. So, is that different? Because that was almost that was exactly the same. Well, this isn't exactly so, the same. So when we're talking about but, sampling, there is a bit of conversation about like getting permission for one, and then also fair use, which is transformative, which means you take something and turn it into something different. So when you listen to uh, Kendrick Lamar's Rigor Mortis, Kevin, you'll know that song very well. Yes, sir. It had a sample from a, a, a jazz song, which I will put in the show notes. I can't remember the name of it, but I'll find it. And when you listen to the two back to back, 
you'll understand that, yes, Kendrick Lamar just straight up took somebody's work, but then turned it into something different. Right. And I think that's what good sampling is. And that's allowed in the uh, American legal system as fair use. And uh, I can't remember exactly where we were going with that, but but there so, is like va- vanilla, vanilla ice. Though. Vanilla was ice, vanilla and ice? David Bowie, they all settled so, out of court. So, so there was that- no transformation with that baseline, right? They are it is straight up the exact same thing. He just took under pressure and just just ripped the baseline out of it and then played it under him rapping. Am I like that's that's what happened there? That's what I heard yeah. when I heard the well, song. And so yeah. that's why I think like that's why they settled uh, out of court. I yeah, think Vanilla Ice paid good court, money probably for means this Vanilla one. Ice realized, oh, yeah, I have no argument here. Yeah. Y'all, y'all are going to beat me. But another, uh, uh, it's not an artist as much. It's a family now because he's passed away. And dad, you'll, you'll, you're a big fan of this. But uh, Marvin Gaye's family is yep. notorious mm-hmm. for coming after people. And Ed Sheeran they, recently. Their estate, oh yeah, their estate won last year in a lawsuit against Pharrell and Robin Thicke, saying that Blurred Lines copied the 1977 hit "Got to Give It Up." The court confirmed that Gay's estate would be entitled to 50 percent of all royalties from that song forever. And Pharrell and Robin Thicke both claim that this was that was a beat created by Pharrell. He might have used some inspiration from Marvin Gaye as he listened to a bunch of Marvin Gaye. One who life. hasn't listened to a bunch of Marvin Gaye right. throughout their life, but and but so regardless, fifty percent of all that song was huge, and now they get half the royalties forever, not yeah. not for like a year, not for two, forever. And then the one LJ's been kind of hinting at the is, Verve Pop. Well, that's yeah, that's the another ver- thing. That's a different oh, case because because there was an agreement in place about okay, so the Verve Pop. I think we've talked about this on the pod before. But the Verve Pipe uh, used a uh, a sample from a Rolling Stones song. They reached out to the Rolling Stones and said, we want to use this and just repeat it and not change it at all. What's the deal there? And uh, apparently, if I understand correctly, the Rolling Stones moved the goalposts after the song was successful and said, oh, well, you uh, you you use too much of it. Um, but it was in their original contract. So it was hard for the Verve Pipe to argue and uh, and so only recently they got the rights to that back, but that's not the one I was that Kevin's alluding to. Yeah, there's oh, the, there's the one going on currently, but that is an interesting Ed Sharan case against Marvin Gaye's estate, and Marvin Gaye's estate is saying they're suing Sharan, saying thinking out loud, copied. Let's get it on. Do you right. see? Do you have any resemblance, Dad? Just I know wow. I just got an opinion, but I just okay. Want to throw Ooh, you, I got a big you opinion. Love, I, you love. Well, let me say songs. this first then, because I love both songs. And I've never thought of them together. But so, if I mean, you listen I, to them back to back, like now, do you think I, you could hear it? I, I would. I'll do that. But I would just say I've never put those two songs. So together. that one's currently in court. They actually have another hearing, I think, later this year in a couple of months. And LJ, now I just throw it over to you because I know. Bring I it, know LJ. You got Tell me. Okay. Yeah. So the similarities in these songs is uh, so. So if do you guys know anything about chord structure? Does that does that phrase mean anything to you? Yeah, a little so bit. if I'm yeah. playing a song, right, and it's like the chords, like I'll build a chord structure that maybe a really basic ass song is going to be like G, C, E minor, D, right, which is like just a really simple chord structure that uh, that plays on, you know, uh, the fifth of the key and blah, blah, blah. Like it's it's a really simple chord structure, which so if that is something that you can own. I'll send you guys a video of this band called the axis of awesome that like shows how many songs use the same chord structure over and over and over again. But, uh, because, because we like certain things that we've heard before. We also like certain things that, uh, make sense to us. We've learned how music works in a certain way and, and pop writers like to use that to, to even make jokes. Sometimes, you know, they'll use a chord structure you've heard before 
to try to make you reminisce about this thing and then turn it on its head. Um, the Beatles used to do that all the time. But so the the thing about these is that uh, this Marvin Gaye song, Let's Get It On, and Thinking Out Loud had a similar chord structure, but not the fact that it was like G, C, E, D, but like one had the first of the key and then the fifth of the key and then the third of the key and then the fifth of the key or something like that. I don't remember the exact numbers, but they were in different keys and they used different positions on the key um, that were similar to each other. Not the same, but similar to each other. And somehow a jury has agreed that that's worth looking into. And that blows my mind because if you can own a set of four chords in a row, then it's the same. It, I mean, and I do, I, I'm with Aunt Corey on Corey. I really don't like the slippery slope metaphor, but that is one. I mean, that is like the idea of owning a building block of music. That's like owning the idea of going from the first to the fifth, which we use to feel dominance. Like that is how dominance is felt in music. That's what every ACDC song is built on. And you're saying that I can't use that in my songs now because Marvin Gaye also used it at some point. That is that's turning the idea of writing music on its head and saying you've got to come up with something yeah. completely original and to write something comp completely original. Then that means you can't probably end up using the 12 notes that we have written. We have codified into our society. You have to start using notes that aren't real notes anymore. That's what blows me away. I think your reference to, to movies and like that. If if we're gonna say this and that's storytelling too, like you now you can't have the the protagonist have go up against an antagonist and 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 you right know, because like, that story's been told. Because Carousel basing that. yeah, it's a basic yeah. building block of storytelling. That's yeah. part of it. Just like this is a basic building block of music, and you're gonna let someone own it. Where do we draw the line? And uh, it, it, it's a line that's gonna move around. And I do think it it's interesting to me. I knew, well, I the, knew when when I saw this was like. I bet LJ's got so much ammo to this because I just knew that you'd be following this. Well, stuff. and it's the thing. It's the thing that really scares me about the justice system is that when I go to court, then that means that the lawyers are fighting to get the the jury that knows the least about this possible. Like it's the ideal is that it's a jury of your peers. Right. And so if Katy Perry versus Flame are having a lawyer, then I would think the best definition of peers is people that understand writing music, recording music listening to music and understand what the implications of but this instead, case may, they're might be mean to get people that don't know a lot about music and right. they'll just go, well, they do sound kind of similar. Right. And then well, because you have lawyers that specialize in jury selection yeah. and they're going to select the people that do not know what you're talking well, about. And, LJ, and I because think they're even, there to win a case. Even scary is they're going to bring in the people like me that think they know enough about music to when someone says a big enough music word, they understand, oh, you're the authority here. I'm just going to listen to you. And I think that's the scary thing about a, a jury is that we're really going for the simplest manipulatable uh, lowest common denominator. I can't remember who said it, but someone said the scary thing about a jury is that it's the people that are too dumb to get out of jury duty. Um, and uh, while I think that's not a really good representation of our justice system, I actually want to serve on a jury. I think it's like something that we all uh should do to give back to our society. Specific duty. It's important. Absolutely. But I also think like if I were on this case, they would probably kick me off of this jury because I have strong opinions, you know? And um, I think that's what's scary about our justice system is that if you believe in something strongly enough, then you're not good for deciding whether somebody should be allowed to live or die in some cases. I mean, in this case, it's $2.8 million, which is a bigger number than I'll probably ever see in any I mean, the only thing that I'll see 2.8 million of in my life is maybe rice grains or something. You know what I mean? Like, that's a stupid number. Yeah, I mean, 
it's interesting to me. And I, I think it's interesting where what the, this precedent sets moving forward yeah. as far as, as copyright and music. And it's super interesting. Uh, I wanted to before we're, we're, we're kind of going long today. I think we got a really good pot. I think it was fun. Yeah. Hall of Fame stuff. I, the music stuff might have been better than our sports stuff today because this is I got a little this court case is interesting. <laughs> but I wanted to before we get out of here, we won't do what we're listening to this week because we hit y'all with a bunch. Y'all might still be catching up from from last week. But yeah. But Pops, you were out, and, and, and like we said, out in Colorado, you heard a, a pretty good, well, I don't know how the concert was, but the musician is, is a legend in his own right. It's just, yeah. you got any stories from the road for us here? <laughs> but, well, my, yeah, my first one has nothing to do with music. So as we're driving to Colorado, okay. we pass a restaurant in Gainesville, Texas. Okay. It's the F-U-K-U Japanese, Japanese restaurant. The now, Fuku. how the hell do you say that? Fuku. How do you say F-U-K-U Japanese restaurant? <laughs> Fuku. Fuku, yeah. Fuku. Fuku, yeah. You say Fuku. Yeah. Fuku Japanese restaurant. <laughs> okay. I had to write that down in my book. I'd never seen the well, Fuku. Well, I don't know if you got to say Japanese. Like the, the whole sentence doesn't have to go in your whatever you think is a Japanese accent there. <laughs> you could have just said Fuku Japanese restaurant, but you, you did your whole little. Well, if I say it like I say cool it, it'll, be, it, it'll need to be beeped out if I say it the way I say it. But well, no, if, if Tony's on, we get we get an allowance for f bombs, so you know you can have an allowance too. But true that, true that. <laughs> um, and then real quick, so we went whitewater rafting out there with this little girl, this girl named Lydia. Oh, she was so cool. She was a great guide, brought water rafting through Glenwood Canyon. Okay, very cool. That sounds awesome. But this is like your Yelp so, review. Let's get very cool. Huh? This is your yeah, so let's get review. to the good stuff though. So we're in we're in uh uh Beaver Creek. Okay. And we're sitting there eating supper, uh Tammy and I, Joe and Carla, and there's a there's a five hundred seat venue over there that sometimes has really big artists. We look and see Buddy Guy. What? no Buddy Guy is there tomorrow night. No. And so Joe and I go, Hey, let's just go check it out. So we go, we go look, we get two tickets, fifth row no. for Buddy Guy. No, it's his eighty third birthday Shut up. that night. He's there playing on his 83rd birthday. Shut up. So freaking cool. So, so Tuesday night, we see Buddy Guy on his 83rd birthday. Wednesday night, we see Peter Frampton, who's 69. I mean, he's just a bald-headed, old-looking oh dude rocking his ass off. I mean, Peter Frampton still got it. Still had he it. He has absolutely still got it. And you would appreciate this. The opener for Peter Frampton was a group called Bonham. Now, LJ, you probably know who that I think is. I do. I, the name's very familiar. That's John John Bonham's right. son. Yes, from Led Zeppelin. Yeah. So it's I think his name's Jason Bonham. He's the drummer. Yeah. And I mean, they're Led Zeppelin. They're a Led Zeppelin cover band, is what they are. But they're amazing. Oh. So and one funny story. So we go up there. It starts raining. None of us are dressed for the rain. If you if you know Colorado a little bit, the mountains can do some strange things. Yeah. You get a little afternoon showers. <laughs> So, so we get this cab to take us up to the top entrance and on the way to the top entrance, it starts raining like hell. So Joe goes, Hey, uh, if I give you a hundred dollars, can we sit in here till this rain stops? (laughs) And so the guy goes, yeah. So we sit in there in the rain for 30 minutes. None of us are dressed for it. So it gets better. Uh, so finally, we're not, we don't know what to do. So the, 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 uh, the cab driver's name's Rocky. He goes, you want my advice? said, yeah, we think we'd like it because we have no clue what to do. He goes, okay, your girls are not dressed for this weather. They're going to get cold. They're going to get wet. Then they're going to get cold. Then they're going to get irritated at y'all yeah. for being at this concert. Rocky That's knows his shit. 
Yeah. So, yeah, so very smart. So he said, why don't I take you back to your room? Y'all get closed. The concert's already delayed. You get closed, so be prepared for this. And honestly, the girls may or may not come back. And the girls are sitting there listening, just agreeing with all this. But so he takes us back to the room. The girls decide, uh, no, we're not going back. Me and Joe go, the hell with it. We put a few extra clothes on. If it rains, we get wet, yeah. whatever. We go back. We watch Peter Frampton with Joe behind a six foot eight guy. He can't see <laughs> What's over. What would happen if he got on seat? Wait a second. tickets though, right? Like he could have moved. Well, we had four tickets, but it got a little crowded. And okay. I mean, you know, we're yeah. in Colorado. The, the aroma in the air, let's just say you don't have to buy anything in Colorado. There was a fine it's, incense. Yeah. There was a fine sense. Even, even Frampton finally goes, I'm going to get the giggles up here. <laughs> you know, he can smell it from the stage. <laughs> So, so it sounds oh like God, it was an awesome time. It was a great time. I mean, it was so, Joe and Carla are easy. You know, they're just easy to get along with. We had a great time. Stayed in this little place yeah. in Manitou Springs. If you ever go, I'll tell you this cute little thing. They put up with us all night. We played golf on the porch. We were so tired by this point. This was Thursday night. We played golf on the porch until they closed the bar down. Wow. They closed the bar down finally. And we're just sitting out there drinking, playing golf, and just having the biggest time. We had a great time in Colorado. Fantastic. Did you take Rocky's number? Because I certainly uh, could use some lessons if he's got the time to to instruct. He seems to know. Just uh, just life advice. You mean on women in general? Yeah. Yeah, Just just (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I actually do have Rocky's card. I'll uh, I'll, I'll shoot you his number. (laughs) So I just want to throw this out there for anyone who hasn't. I just Googled Buddy Guy to see what would come up. The first Here's the first two sentences of his Wikipedia page. George Buddy Guy is an American blues guitarist and singer. He is an exponent of Chicago blues and has influenced eminent guitarists, including Eric Clapton, Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Page, Keith Richards, Steve Ray Vaughan, Jeff Beck, Gary Clark Jr., and John Mayer. And John Pretty Mayer. Pretty awesome yeah. resume. Well, so just, do you remember just, we, were, we were talking about Tony Gonzalez and then Dad, I don't remember who you threw out. Uh, who'd you throw out? As like Keller uh, Winslow? Yeah, Keller Winslow. Winslow. Yeah, yeah. Someone who played with Dan Fouts. Back in the day, but yeah. Yeah, Kellen Winslow. Yeah, that's so it. so we were talking about Tony Gonzalez, and then Dad was talking about Kellen Winslow. Buddy Guy is the Kellen Winslow of the music you love. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously. And he's still fantastic. Yeah. He just happened I mean, to he, catch him on his 83rd freaking birthday. In just, a 500-seat house. 500-seat house. I think the tickets were like 100 bucks each. I mean, but for five rows back, I mean, gladly. We're like, just how quick can we get our money Here's, here's my routing number. Here's my social security number. Just take it. Take it. <laughs> yeah. Shoot. No, we were in Colorado on vacation. Straight cash. Only. We <laughs> had it. It was all good. Right before seeing but, Peter damn Frampton. I mean, like, Jesus. I'm well, so jealous well, of your trip. And honestly, so I've seen Buddy Guy one time in Chicago in his club. Oh, LJ, you got to go do that sometime. He was great. Now, I'm not sure he was sober. Well, I'm sure he was not sober. <laughs> but, uh, oh, it was a show. Great show. Buddy Guy's worth going to see. Yeah. Really. Oh, really. Man. I mean, I got to see two of the most amazing guitarists of my time, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, back to back. Back to back nights. God. Wow. Wow, that's all I got to say. It, it was it was a good Great week time. to be live. That's all. That's all. It was I a good say. week to be live. It was a good week to be pops. You're all right. right. Well, I think that'll wrap up another uh, extra long but awesome episode, in my opinion, of the JPP pod. It, it was a fun. Yeah. It was a fun week. It was good to have the the clan back together and the whole group going on, and it was it was fun. So yeah. By the way, you can always catch us and check our notes out on our website at jpppod.com. We're on uh, Facebook and Twitter as well. Catch us all over there. And uh, guys, 
I hope I don't know if you saw this, but Tom Brady just signed an extension not that long ago, so he's around for five, two, whatever two more years. years. He's, he's never going to retire. Uh, the JPP pod's never going to quit. I mean, two years, seventy millions. What I said. My, my man's Why? never going to leave. He's going to be around forever, LJ. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for another episode. We will catch you next week with more. Peace out. Peace. Peace.